This episode is brought to you by Griefline, Australia's national service that offers free non-crisis support to anyone experiencing grief or facing any type of loss. Griefline provides a compassionate space for people to explore and express their grief without judgment, no matter where you're at in your grief journey. If you are struggling and need extra support or want to know how to support someone who is coping with loss, visit griefline.org.au. listening to Good Morning, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humour. Just a heads up, today's conversation discusses suicide, which some listeners may find triggering. Welcome back to the Good Morning podcast. We are your hosts, Sal and Im, and we are back with a fascinating conversation today for you with broadcaster, journalist and author Indira Naidu. But before we get into today's conversation, Sal, mate, how are you? I am, oh, I'm actually pretty griefy at the moment. I normally say- Are <laughs> you going to lie? I was going to lie like, and say, good, I'm okay. But I'm like, nah, I'm actually pretty griefy, to be honest. Real and um, raw, give it to me. Oh, real and raw, coming in hot. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, I think I'm entering like a griefy milestone period. Mm. it's the back end of the year for me they just they're like they come in hot they're like one after the other and I know yours is kind of towards the start of the year isn't it yes um for me mum's birthday is in a couple of weeks and then um and then after that it's the anniversary of her death and then about a month after that it's the funeral and then it's Christmas which obviously is a bit of a griefy milestone too for so many of us so I I thought was doing okay I had a strong period you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm feeling good. And then whoosh, it, it just hits you. So I'm feeling pretty heavy at the moment. And um, yeah, I'm just really missing her. But the gym has been a saving grace, as we always bang on about exercise. It has been good for me to like run and punch some of those creepy emotions <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, the grief bombs have, have been hitting. And um, like we always harp on about, you know, you can think that you're having a strong period, you know, you can think you're doing okay. And then, and then they hit and this is like entering the third, well, no, fourth year now. So Fuck. yeah. Oh my God. It's just one of those things you're like, fuck, I can't believe it's coming up. Well, it's her third year anniversary in November. So yeah. technically then it will be my fourth year of grief, won't it? Is that even right? Um, I think so. Yeah. It, maths isn't our forte, guys. Um, <laughs> but, two plus two, is, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, um, I think that's right. Yeah, and it's I... just like you know, you just start thinking about it all again, and it takes you back to that time and place, and you just think, far out. It's been. What are we doing here? How do we yeah. get here? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear you've been feeling griefy. Um, you're not alone. <laughs> I, had a, I had a cry in the kitchen last night. Haven't done that for ages. I actually also cried myself to sleep the other night. Also haven't done that in ages. Um, oh, M. Yeah, it's been griefy lately. Anything I triggering think, it or just? Um, not really. I don't know. Yesterday I was feeling pretty anxious and I don't think maybe all those emotions like were a bit much and then I was just, yeah, in the kitchen I'm just like, fuck. Actually, I know what it is. It's like the age lately is like, she's so fucking cute sometimes. I'm like, oh, my mom would 
absolutely adore the shit out of you. I'm going to cry already. And we're like five minutes in. Um, (laughs) We just turned into like a Zoom grief sesh. (laughs) Sorry, guys, we didn't plan this. Um, Yeah, it's just like these moments where I'm just like, fuck, why is she not here to witness her and like love her and like it's just painful and like Mm. I've been having this feeling lately where it's just hard to articulate but it's just like a feeling of something's always missing yeah and this is a really shit example but like you know when you go away like on overseas holiday or and you feel like you've forgotten something on the way it's like that feeling of like oh something's like I've forgotten something that's a really shit example but it just feels like that all the fucking time like something is missing and nothing feels right because she's missing I know exactly what you mean ever fucking feel right and it's just this constant feeling of that so Mm. I've been really yeah feeling that lately it's like a homesickness, isn't it? It's like that feeling at the pit of your stomach, like a weird, like uncomfortable sort of sensation. It's like, mm. I, I know exactly what you mean. And it's just always there, isn't it? And it's it's not nice. And I think there are so many moments in life, like when you look at Layla and you just want to be able mm. to share her and everything with your mum and you can't and it's fucking hard. I think that's the most painful thing for me at the mm. moment is yeah. her. And like a lot of the time I'm like, say, like, say, and then not sailor. <laughs> Layla's like my saving grace. You know, she's the thing that makes me feel like pulls me out of my grief sometimes. But now she's sort of turning into the thing that's actually like magnifying my loss. Yeah, and it's probably Ugh. because she's at the age where she's starting to show her personality, right? And forming relationships with people and it's just like fuck, I just wish she could have a relationship with my mom and she's never going to have one that's physical, like, you know, with her here. I know, obviously, we'll keep her alive in her life, but... Via the sock lint. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Or in the lights. Um, oh, but she puts things on and, like, the, the thing that she does lately, she's like, grandma bought me this, grandma bought me this necklace. I'm like, she didn't, but like everything is like, grandma bought me this. And I'm just like, oh, she would have, she would have bought you so many fucking things that I would have never put you in <laughs> from the up shop. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I can do that for you instead, but yeah, um, anyway. it's, it's painful. It is bloody painful. And yeah. it is a feeling that something's missing. I, Mm. I know exactly what you mean. I think a lot of our listeners do as well. And oh, yeah. <laughs> but like you, running like mm. has been helping me with the grief, heaps the grief and the anxiety. Like I go for a big run. I've been smashing my personal best lately. I'm being so yeah. Yeah, getting, you've been doing so good. Getting right into it, but it's good for the anger and the grief and the anxiety. So if you're listening to this and you haven't been like getting up and going for a, a you know a little jog or a walk or whatever trust us it makes you feel better it's not it really going to fix us but it helps a little bit it does it really really does enough about us <laughs> not guys enough down this could quite easily turn into like a <laughs> grief sesh that you're all invited to you've oh. had a little preview of how they how they go let's talk about today's guest Indira and I do Indira's sister Monica sadly died by suicide in early 2020. And while she was deep in her grief and also in isolation due to a national lockdown, Indira found solace in spending time in nature 
And she went on to write about this in her brilliant book, The Space Between the Stars. She did. And I love this chat. And I could connect with her on so many levels as she also lost her sister to suicide at a similar time to me losing my mum to suicide, um, just as we were going into isolation. And there was something that Indira talked about during this convo that really struck me, Sal. And it's something that I I have sort of been pondering on ever since, but she articulated it so well. And it's that feeling of not wanting to be in your body anymore after a traumatic loss. And she explained like she wanted to run away from herself. And I had the exact same experience, but I could never kind of articulate it as well as Indira did. It's like, you just don't want to be in your body. It just feels so wrong. And like, you just want to run away but you can't like, yeah. So that was really interesting. It was, it's like, it feels, it's just su- such an uncomfortable place to be. And it's, mm. yeah, it, it's such a, it is a hard feeling to put into words, but she did put it into words, didn't she? She did, and she did yeah, so well. Brilliantly. And she's so articulate. And I, I really love this conversation because we talk about the impact of losing a sibling, which is a massive topic for so many of you. And, and how Indira experienced grieving differently from her family, which we know is something that many of you have had to cope with as well. And it's, it's not bloody easy, is it? No. And this is something we've discussed in detail on the pod before, but she also shares how she leaned into nature to help her connect with herself and cope with her loss, which is another great way to help us heal on top of the exercise. It really, really is. We we love a little bit of a, a beach walk, don't we, Im? Yes. Or a forest run for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like I just think... Sometimes the, there is real power in just like sitting still in nature to process the really hard things in life, which we don't always do when we're busy and, you know, grieving on a schedule. Um, but we we really dig deep into the ways that we can help ourselves in this conversation. We do. And guys, before we jump in, don't forget our latest batch of affirmation cards are selling quickly. They are a brilliant way to give yourself some extra support on a griefy day or a perfect little gift for a mate who's grieving. You can find the link to these in our show notes. And yeah, on with the show. Indira, welcome to the podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you join us today. We absolutely loved your book, The Space Between the Stars, uh, which is all about love, loss, and the power of nature to get you through really hard times. So welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. So to set the scene for our listeners, you are the eldest of three sisters and you describe your relationship as so tight, nothing can break the bonds. Yet in early 2020, your sister, Monica, died by suicide. Firstly, we are so, so sorry. And I can actually relate to your experience, Indira, as my mum also died by suicide and it was in February of 2020. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, very, very similar. And um, so I absolutely loved your book and I could relate to you on so many things. And one particular thing you said in your book was that suicide leaves a wreckage in its wake and I felt that so much and I feel like it really perfectly articulates you know the aftermath of suicide loss and it is a bit like a a wreckage isn't it with fragments everywhere and oftentimes no answers would you start by talking us through that period around the time you lost Monica and receiving the news yeah it was such an intense time uh, as you went through the time it's very similar timeline to me we yeah. were already in a global Uh, pandemic at that stage I was hosting a national radio show uh, Friday Saturday Sunday nights across the country on the ABC 
we have about a million people that tune into us uh, those nights. And as everyone and every different state city started going into lockdown, they were relying more and more on ABC radio as their only source of connection with the outside world. Uh, they were very isolated, obviously very, very afraid as well. So it was, you know, uh, impressed upon us as broadcasters with the ABC to not only give them information, but to give them a sense that everything was going to be okay. We were going to get through this together. It was a time to just connect and 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 build our community the only way we could, which was through the airwaves at that stage. So that was the environment that I was in as a citizen, as, as a broadcaster. And then within a few weeks of that, then I was dealt this extraordinary catastrophic personal blow when my sister took her life uh, during Melbourne's lockdown within a few weeks of that. So suddenly I had a global, national, and then a very personal perspective on grief and loss. Uh, so it was wham, wham, wham. It was mm. pretty extraordinary. Uh, I was home when I got the news that my sister had taken her life. And of course, your options of how you would respond were very limited by the pandemic as well. So we tried immediately to get on a plane to go to Melbourne because I live in Sydney, but of course there were no flights. Uh, all the planes had been grounded. There were only a couple of emergency flights a day and they were already completely booked out. So then we had to get in the car and drive, uh, which obviously takes a couple of days. All the towns we went through were all shut down. Uh, there were no staff working in the hotels we stayed in. So we didn't see a soul, no restaurants, nothing. We, uh, roadside stops that you basically ordered over the phone and someone left, you know, food on the counter. It was a very strange way while you're going through this terrible grief. And then when we arrived for the funeral, of course, at the time, there was restrictions on numbers. Only 20 of our family could physically be there, which was a horrific thing for any family to go through. But then in, on, in the aftermath of the suicide uh, during a pandemic, it just got kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then, of course, we couldn't be together to grieve because there were restrictions on the number of people that could be in a home in Melbourne. So it was pointless being in Melbourne because we couldn't go to a restaurant or a bar or cafe, each other's homes. Mm. It, it was just the worst possible time you could imagine to be going through this sort of loss. So we just had to get in the car and <laughs> drive back to Sydney. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the options when I got back to Sydney, again, I'd always recommend that people take some time off after a big grief, but uh, we were in isolation and, and not a full lockdown, but restricted movement. So there was no one that could, I could go to no one's homes. Um, no one could come to mine. I could go nowhere to meet any of my friends and family. So I thought I might as well just go back to work. <laughs> so it was very odd. So literally within a few days of coming back from the funeral, I was broadcasting again, not as the best option, but really the only sort of thing to do uh, given the uh, global situation we were in. So it was a time of just how to take a horrific event and and magnify it tenfold uh yeah you put a suicide in a, in a pandemic lockdown and you've got it absolutely i mean it's just unbelievable really the circumstances and um so my mom died right before lockdown so she wouldn't have even known what COVID was and i feel like in a sense it sort of cocooned me from the outside world because as you said it's like such a catastrophic loss 
with suicide, it's often very unexpected, even if the person, you know, was struggling with their mental health. Uh, were you worried about Monica around that time? Like, were there any, I know sometimes there's no signs or yeah, with my mom, there weren't any signs, but in hindsight, I feel like there maybe was, but yeah, were you concerned about her at all around that time? I was largely because as a broadcaster, I was hearing stories from people who was, I could see how their mental health was just, mm -hmm. you know, being stretched and stretched and stretched. And even people with very good mental health uh, were, were finding, you know, the isolation and, and the unknownness of the pandemic really difficult. So someone like my sister who had a history of poor mental health, I knew it was going to be a very difficult time for her. And to make it worse, we were all so isolated, we couldn't physically see her and be with her. And I knew that one of the final sort of difficulties would be uh, one of the ways she managed her mental health. And it, and it wasn't good that she wasn't getting any professional help or on any medication, which she should have done. But one of the best ways she had found to uh, help her was to do a swim every day. And that, as we know, exercise is a good way to manage your mental health, but it shouldn't be the only way. But that was what she relied on. And unfortunately, I know that when they closed all the swimming pools in Melbourne during the lockdown, I just thought, how is she going to get through her week without that daily swim? So I knew it was going to be difficult. Mm. Something you say in your book that that struck a chord with us, Indira, and I think this can also apply broadly to the pandemic, is that the isolation of loss is the worst kind of haunting. And I thought that was really apt, but also relates to the isolation that everyone was going through in, in the pandemic and, and how it did massively impact people's mental health. And like you say, when you don't have access to the things that really do keep you going, it's, it's it, yeah, it's, it's incredibly hard. It is very hard and it is one of those things that was such a struggle for me that I know we were taking actions on some levels as a community mm. to protect and support the most vulnerable and I understood exactly why but I also knew those, those specific actions were also going to expose other vulnerable groups in our community and that was a very hard thing for me to come to terms with is that one action could help one group of people but it could it could be you know bring on darkness for others and that would have been such a struggle to come to terms with and suicide you know it's such a shocking and traumatic death as well when you and your family got the news about Monica's death how did you cope the day after I got the news I just wanted to flee and I described that about this sense of just but I wanted to flee from myself and I just wanted to get out of my body and leave mm -hmm. it behind and go somewhere else and realising, well, of course, that you weren't going to be able to do that. And that was a very strange feeling uh, because usually, you know, I like hanging out with me, but I really didn't want to be there. It was just the last place I wanted to be. And so the struggle also was that I found all of us, all the extended family and friends were going through, yes, the same person we had lost. And obviously it was the same sudden shocking uh, grief, but we were all experiencing it very differently 
And that was also very difficult because you could share some of your grief, but then you had an experience or a perspective, depending if you were the older sister, the younger sister, the mother, the, the husband, the daughter, everyone came at it from quite a different lens. And sometimes in, in a way that it was quite difficult for you to understand how, why the other person was feeling the way they were. And so that's why I talk about the isolation as well. It's suddenly you feel, oh, I'm on my own here. You know, I'm the only one who's feeling it exactly like this, mm -hmm. which is why it was so good that I sought out a grief counsellor straight away that gave me a safe place to be and express these feelings without feeling that I was burdening someone mm -hmm. else in my family because I didn't want to do that either. And then also I didn't want to say anything to them that may trigger something else that, you know, you, you, you just feel just completely inadequate and, and lost for, for words, how to express, how to find the vocabulary for grief. I, I, this was the first big grief that I had ever been through. And I realised I thought that that had been a good thing, that I'd got to my 50s without a big loss. And, mm. and, and that was really weird because when I got there, I realised, no, this is not a good thing. You don't have anything, no experience to draw upon. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, my grandparents died when I was very young, so I didn't really have a relationship with them. And, yes, I was fortunate in a way that I hadn't really lost anyone very close to me. And so suddenly this big grief came late in life and I just didn't have the ex experience, the coping mechanisms that it, you know, should maybe have developed over those years. Mm. And you use the word burdening, and this is something that's come up quite a lot within our community. Sal and I have just been spending a bit of time shining a light on sibling grief and sibling loss in particular. And that <clears throat> word has come up many, many times with people who have lost a sibling within our community. And I think, you know, everything that you said is so spot on, like everyone's dealing with their own grief but your relationship with Monica is unlike anybody else's. And I often feel like people don't necessarily want to burden their parents with their grief in case, you know, because I think you also grieve for them and the loss of their child. So in a sense, people have said like, it is really isolating being a sibling grieving. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I, I did. And I think that that was the reason that I started writing this book when the opportunity mm. presented itself, because writing was almost like creating a room that I could step into and explore these feelings and, and write them down and, and just let them out without it feeling at the time, obviously it would eventually be published and maybe someone would read them. But at the time that then became a way to have a conversation rather than, you know, with someone, but with that person actually really not being there at the time. Mm -hmm. So that process really helped me uh, make clear a lot of the emotions. It also gave me this perspective to step away from my emotions because you can be just so overwhelmed with your own grief. It, you, you can't see it in any sort of perspective. And the writing really, really helped me see that I wasn't alone, even though that's how I felt, that this was a universal feeling, grief and loss. Most people are going to go through it at some stage in their life. And the writing of it helped me see it less personally. And that, that actually helped my healing. At the same time, going through my personal grief, I'm, I was hearing these griefs, griefs of my listeners and realising we don't talk about grief in our society. We don't talk about death. We, we really pretend it's not going to happen. It's you know not going to affect us. 
and it doesn't need to be that mm-hmm. way and grief doesn't mm-hmm. have to be you know this this shameful thing uh, let alone suicide as we know is is not really talked about at all so it was really helpful in a way going through a pandemic so i i was able to step in and out of lots of lenses at this issue uh, you know as just a, a global citizen as a broadcaster with a national audience and then as a sister had lost a sister and so stepping into all those different roles also yeah gave me that sense that we need to talk about grief a lot more it doesn't have to be this scary thing that i'd say we put into the bag of shadows because it will happen to all of us at some stage and it doesn't only have to be a bad thing i mean this is what i've discovered through this whole experience is that not only was my process that i went through a healing one I wouldn't have thought that at the end I would actually find a new joy that that I would feel closer to my sister that I would look at life with so much more appreciation and gratitude because of this great loss I'd gone through I just couldn't have imagined there would be any positives that could flow on from grief but that is certainly what has happened to me and I found that through writing the book and then the reaction from readers and hearing their stories. They're now sharing their griefs with me, which again, I would have thought, oh, how am I going to cope with hearing the stories? And there are some stories that are so much worse than than my experience. But I find that, you know, it's all right just to share a story, just to sit and listen. You don't have to offer any solution. Uh, Being Mm. present is the greatest comfort. I, I think that you can offer someone in, in grief. And that was a lesson that I've only learned by going through it. You know, it would have been great to have known that, you know, a few years ago. Can you talk us through your journey with nature, which is at the heart of, of your book? Talk us through that experience and how that unfolded for you. Yeah, I, again, maybe this wouldn't have happened if we weren't in lockdown I like a lot of people only had this five kilometer zone around me and that had to become my universe really I couldn't go to where I would normally go and there I was thinking I'd been restricted and deprived because of that and and the places that I would need had been removed from my world So I tried to make the most of it and I would do my ISO walk in the mornings like everyone else. And I did it, you know, for quite a few months before my sister died. And then the day after when I was trying to flee myself and I sort of ran along the very same route that I take to the Royal Botanic Gardens, which were I'm very fortunate, are inside my five kilometres. And I found myself collapsed on on the ground, on the grass. And I was just sitting there with my head in my hands just thinking how overwhelmed I was by all these feelings and then I looked up and realized that all those branches of the trees above me belonged to one solitary Morton Bay fig tree that I noticed I'd passed a number of times on my walks but I'd never sat never really taken it in never admired it it was beautiful it had this massive 20 meter expansive umbrella these lovely extraordinary roots that looked like dinosaur sort of claws and the sense of peace and solace and calm I I felt as I describe it this green radiance descended on me and I was just extraordinarily you know uh touched by this sense of 
oneness with this tree and I didn't need to speak or say what I was feeling. It obviously wasn't literally talking to me. And I realised that in grief, sometimes it's good to be able to just be and not have to explain. Bit by bit, every day I'd sit under the tree and it would not only reveal its strength to me, but it's helped me see all the other bits and wonders of urban nature that, again, I'd always been distracted by my phone and, and hadn't taken mm-hmm. on board. The ants on my, the bark of my tree, the feathers that would drop off the birds nesting above, the weeds in the cracks between the footpath, the clouds above me. One by one, each one of these bits of nature just started to remind me of the cycle of nature, the life and the death, the renewal, the birth, the joy in the shimmers and, you know, the colours, the, all the different types of greens. All my senses started to get enlivened by allowing myself to sit in these bits of nature. I called upon these nature guide specialists just through doing Google searches and said, please share some more of your knowledge about these things because I want to understand why I can just lie here for hours watching the clouds. Why does that make me feel so restful and so calm and so joyous as well? And so I'd spend a a day with a uh, specialist in clouds and visual perception or a day collecting feathers or going weed hunting or jumping puddles with my granddaughter. And bit by bit, each one of those experiences not only taught me about the beauty of nature and just the intrinsic specialness of every part of nature around us separate to being human but also sitting with it I just fell in love I I really fell in love you know I fell in love with my natural world it helped me fall in love with my sister too um, Mm. even more than I was as well it was it was beautiful I think grief really cracks you open doesn't it and you you mentioned that you're sort of unaware before I'm always looking at our phones and I really feel like I had a similar experience like I was so cracked open and so raw that I would look up and I'd look out and just see things that I definitely didn't see or notice before and I even um not even consciously but now like I'm reflecting and I was living in like urban (laughs) urban city right in mascot and I actually made the move deep in my grief up to the blue mountains and I'm surrounded by trees and nature and it's been so healing for me but I don't think I consciously did it for that purpose but it's Mm. really helped and Mm. I think a lot of our listeners as well like they it's crucial for them to go for walks in nature and it's just their time to meditate and I think Sal and I have also now have this kind of greater awareness of the world and energy and connecting with our mums still in spirit and it just really opens you up whereas before I definitely was just looking at my phone (laughs) unaware of everything so it's really fascinating. Yeah the thing about grief you're, you're right it does open you up and I don't think we we are conscious of what we're really thinking and feeling most of the time because we are so overscheduled and so rushing everywhere. Mm. And there were times when I'd be writing and something would come up on the screen and it would even shock me. I'd go, where did that come from? Uh, that that sounds, reads quite insightfully. That's even maybe a bit wise. That couldn't have come from me. And this mm. would happen every now and then when I'd write. And I honestly couldn't accept ownership of those ideas, those feelings or emotions. 
I really just thought, oh, it's some spirit moving through me. And mm. really now I understand is that was this voice that I'd always pushed down and said, be quiet. I'm not ready to listen to you. I don't like what you're saying. I'm, I'm not, that's very uncomfortable for me to hear. And in those moments of grief, you're so opened up and you're so exposed mm. and vulnerable. That voice rises to the top and you hear it. You can't, you don't have the energy to shut it down, shut it off. Yeah. And that voice tells things that are wise and are true because we all are wise and true and authentic, but we just don't let ourselves see that side of us. And mm -hmm. once that voice bubbles up, there's no way putting it back down again. It is uh, front and centre and as it should always be, you know, um, and our decisions will change accordingly once that voice says, come on you know, that's a crock of shit. You don't really like doing that. You, you don't really want to be there. You don't really like that job. You don't really want to be with that partner. That once that voice comes to the surface, it's really uh, difficult to ignore. There's a great term I heard once, and I feel like it just relates to this so much. And it was like, when you go through big things like that, you get this hard-earned wisdom. <laughs> and I really feel like, yes, you know, it is. It's that voice is like, who is this person? And you kind of like have to trust and listen to it and come into that. Yeah, you do. So many people have said to me uh, after reading the book, oh, wow, you know, thanks for revealing your vulnerability and being so open and, and sure, uh, I guess uh, I have, but really it's not me. I, I have to thank that voice, you know, I have to thank that voice uh, that all I did was just listen to it for the first time really. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in the process of writing, so I was able to capture those feelings, whereas a lot of us don't remember them because we don't write or journal. And I'd really encourage you to, because it's so good to acknowledge and record those feelings and to be able to go back and, and really look at truth on the page, on the screen and go, mm, yeah, that, that um, you know, I said to Wendy, my grief counsellor, at the end of really the the two, I still see her, but we, we really finished our full two years session a couple of months ago. And now I just see her every now and then. And the last session I said to her, I never would have thought this, but everything I needed to learn was always within me, wasn't it? And she went, yep. Yeah. She nodded. Let's pause for a moment to talk about today's sponsor, Griefline, which is a not-for-profit support service for people struggling with grief. They're on a mission to normalise grief by having courageous conversations that help to change the way Australian society thinks and talks about grief. We absolutely love Griefline here at Good Morning and as well as their national helpline, Griefline has loads of incredible free support services like support forums, grief education and resources and even corporate and volunteer training programs and workshops. Through these programs and services, Griefline aims to normalise the grief experience by alleviating the pressure many feel to grieve in a certain way and within a set time frame, which can be common, can't it, Sal? It really can. The old time frames of grief. <laughs> it's so important for people to know that there's no right or wrong way to grieve. 
We cannot stress that enough and we say it all the time, but there really is no right or wrong way to do this. And Griefline is doing such important work to break down the stigma that is still unfortunately associated with grief by encouraging conversations about the topic because grief isn't an illness or a disorder that needs to be treated or cured. And we can't stress this enough. And the roller coaster of emotions and thoughts we experience when grieving is a natural human response to loss. But sometimes they can be really, really challenging to navigate and we all need a little bit of help to make sense of it all sometimes. So that's where Griefline steps in. If you're needing extra support in your grief, you can book a call with a specially trained volunteer at a time that is convenient to you. Or visit griefline.org.au to access their support programs and services. Now, back to the show. It really does shine a light on you doesn't it grief and it really makes you kind of get to know yourself on a level that like you say the parts that you might have just brushed over or pushed pushed down or you know you're too busy I'll I'll, I'll think about that later or you know mm. but you really do have to to sit with those feelings in grief much like you really sat with nature and I'm really interested to know Indira a bit about the, sci- the science behind why we are so soothed by nature as humans, because I know you learned a lot of really interesting things from all of your guides. Can you tell us what you learned? And, and yeah, why does nature soothe us so much? Mm. Well, I mean, some of the really blew my mind away because it's a combination of science, but also uh perspective there were were sort of two things that I kept jumping into so on one level the perspective came from a a night I spent with an astronomer with a a, a telescope on my balcony right on the edge of the CBD here in Potts Point and here I am thinking this has happened to me so I've made myself the center of my universe as most humans do and the perspective. So even though, yes, I've studied astronomy, I know about stars and I know this and what, you know, what's created it all. But spending a night with a telescope looking really closely at things that are so much bigger than you, uh, so far away, in, the concept just blows your mind away about their size and, and the power and the energy and then all the other worlds around them until you just become so minuscule And for me, that actually helped me feel uh, not important, but that was a good thing, a good healing thing, you know, that I'm just part of a much bigger picture. So the bits of nature I learned about from a number of the scientists was perspective. I spent a day with ants and I learned that most ants only live seven to eight days. And here I was feeling robbed that I only had 48 years with my Mm -hmm. sister, Monica. Now, really is that really being robbed 48 years is a long time and it's made me think how did I spend that 48 years did I make the most of that time how differently would I have lived that 48 years uh if I knew that you know that I'd only have had six or seven days I mean the imagine if I just had only had another week now mm. from this moment on I know I would live it so much more differently than the week I've I've got planned you know ahead of me not so much but a little bit So perspective was a really key thing about nature. It kept reminding me that you're just this little in, you know, insignificant little speck like everything else is. And that's a good thing, you know. And then I also learned about the science of why nature moves us so. And I spent some time with a visual psychologist who explained to me that 
the color green, for instance, is designed so much around us uh, is green and the way our eyesight formed is green sits in the middle of the light spectrum so that our eyes, it doesn't stress us looking at green. Whereas we get a little stressed and we look at purple or, or we, you know, um, look at extreme yellows but green sits in the middle so it's very calming so when we're surrounded by the color green we don't have to move our eyes to sort of take it on board so it's no surprise that most of the stuff around us is green or should be green and when we don't have that green around us we have those other colors we find it very stressful not not having that color there and then the shape of things uh, that one of my visual psychologists um, in the book explained, which I'd never thought about before. We like things that are, are full of arcs and waves and contours and have knobbly bits like tree trunks. It allows our eyes to move along and take in and be stimulated, but also rest as well. So we're not overstressed. Whereas our urban built landscapes are all hard and linear and concrete and walls and buildings. And that really stresses us because our eyes can't rest we have to take everything up we can't stop at any any places which again explain why you can't sit and look at a building all day and feel relaxed but you can sit and look at a tree or look at clouds or water so that fascinated me and then when I looked at I was explained how fractals work is that every part of nature um, have large turning into small whichever pattern you look at and even though you might look at a cloud and a creek and a tree and think they're completely different they don't look the same at all but when you really look at the way they're made they all have limbs and tributaries which start large and then get smaller and smaller and smaller and again that pattern of <clears throat> development Really, we love that as humans. We love the big becoming smaller. We find that really soothing. And I did the experiment. I sat under my tree and I just watched the branches big, getting little and smaller and then into twigs. Found that so relaxing. I did it with a creek as well, the wideness and then in the little tributaries. I did it with clouds and I saw how the big clouds would go into the little, you know, little puffs as well. Nature this psychologist said nature has been designed to heal us because right from our earliest, earliest memories on the planet, we had nature to go to, to heal us, to make us feel safe, where we could get our food, where we could feel you know comfortable. So that's deeply wired into our DNA. And so when we're born, we, we know a lot of this stuff innately. If you look at children, they love putting things in their mouths and playing with sticks and ants and rolling around, uh, climbing trees. We all did that as children. And then unfortunately the adults in our life tell us stop climbing trees or don't put those things in your mouth. And we're pulled away from nature as if it's this damaging, dirty, horrible place to be. And it's a pain. It's a real heartbreak and heartache for us that I think now I realize as an adult that I wanted to stay there. I wanted to keep playing in puddles. Yeah, I wanted to keep blowing on feathers and rediscovering that as an adult. I realized what was so wrong with that? I got a lot of joy. Why did I stop doing that? So restarting that has been a way to reconnect, obviously, deeply with nature, but also the child in all of us that needs those little moments of magic and wonder and awe that a beautiful soft feather that you can blow on and, and see how it little vibrations give you. Um, you know, that's so much more fun than holding a device in your hand and a terrible screen and flashing lights and lots of noise. So 
yeah, I, these nature guides just helped me um, discover everything about nature is is designed to give us pleasure, to give us joy. Mm. I mean, you know, no one when they have holidays says, okay, guys, let's we're taking the family on a holiday. We're going to set up our tent in the middle of the highway. <laughs> Isn't it going to be a great holiday? No one says that. Everyone says we're going to go to a beach. We're going to go to a forest, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no one says we're just going to go and set up a tent opposite a you know concrete wall. It's going to be great. I'm looking out now. I've got the Blue Mountains at my doorstep. Like, how? And for anyone listening, like, what's the best way to start with connecting with nature? You don't have to, like a lot of people think, make a tree change or a seed change. You don't have to do that. Just bring a little plant in a pot and put it on your desk at work, or put it on your windowsill in your apartment. And the joy can start from there. Watch that little plant, give it a little water, see it grow, a new shoot, care for it. Watch the sunlight on its leaves. Watch how the petals open up in the morning, how it changes direction depending on what light, what time of year it is. And just feel a connection to that little little being in your world that's I have the, huge guilt now thinking about all the plants in my house that I haven't yeah. been tending to oh, I need really? to go water them yeah. oh yeah. no <laughs> but but you, you you fall into the pattern of it very easily once yeah. you see them as these these living beings just like you if no one watered you what would happen to you if no one yeah. gave you some food what would happen and it, it's it's a change of perspective and then you make that connection and then suddenly everything opens up to you and one of the things that's really important is being still uh I don't know if many people listening to this could remember the last time they were actually really still Mm. Uh, we don't allow ourselves to be and one of the things that you know whether it's meditation or yoga or when I sit under my tree it's my still time Mm. you know I just sit Uh, sometimes it's with my eyes closed sometimes it's with it open but the stillness is another important part of uh, and nature can bring that stillness on faster but that I think is how that voice that we push down can surface and we can hear our own truth being being said to us so yeah it's it's trying to find places in your day where you can commune with nature it doesn't have to be in a big way time to be still in nature I think is is really critical as well and don't be afraid don't be afraid of what comes to light from those connections some of them yeah are challenging some of them are uncomfortable but just sit with it Mm -hmm. you know and the meaning like what happened to me the meaning will reveal itself something I'd love to loop back on Indira you mentioned it at the start of our conversation that you feel like you are more connected now in a way to your sister. And we both definitely feel that with our mums as well. It's almost like through kind of synchronicities and like just just kind of tuning in, we feel much more like we've developed a sort of new connection to them. And I would love to know, like now that you've experienced this new sort of finding a, a new meaning and, and this closeness with nature, how do you feel more connected to Monica? I think particularly when you lose a loved one who's been struggling Mm. with their mental health, so much of the conversation, the relationship then revolves around that rather than them. So you separate them from their their, um, unwellness, their their health. And I realised that that was also 
um, putting a, a distance between us. So we didn't have many conversations in the last few months that didn't involve that. Mm -hmm. And what happened is the essence of who she was and, you know, because we are, none of us are, are our illness, got lost in our communication, our connection, which can often, many members of the family have, have said the same thing. And so in a way, what has happened in her death is, and through writing the book and sharing all these um, childhood stories and all these fabulous things that we did and fabulous times we had, means that they're the memories now that are strongest in my mind and my memory. And it I've been reminded, I've reminded myself about all the things about her that I loved, mm -hmm. which is so important because when you're with someone who's not well, you're being constantly reminded about all the things that are frustrating you or dist distressing you. So it, that has been an extraordinary process to put myself through, but then to come out this, this part of it and really just see the good, uh, the joyous um, parts of our relationship. That's something that's come up quite a, a couple of times, I think, hasn't it, Sal, where, you know, people have felt more connected with their loved one after they've died. And I'm just curious to know, because I know suicide losses can be really complicated and complex, how sort of long did it take you to get to that point where you felt really connected with her, like Obviously, you know, there's feelings of guilt that can come after suicide loss and lots of complicated emotions. Like, was it a process before you got to that point? The intensity of writing the book fast-tracked, I think, mm. for me, this process. I'm, I'm sure it would have been a lot longer. Uh, I was able to get there in a few months mm. because the book just did such hard work. The writing just forcing myself to sit there for six, seven hours in a, in a go in front of the laptop early in the morning. I'd write from, you know, four till about 11, 12 in the morning. Uh, I mean, that's just not the way most people um, process their grief, you know. Mm, very you know, cathartic just, though. Yeah, you know, no one just goes and sits in a room for five hours and says, okay, this is grief time. But writing, <laughs> but, but writing the book was grief time. I mean, that that was really what it was about. So it fast-tracked it, uh, and I'm so glad because I am someone that really d dislikes being stuck in anything, and mm. maybe that's what drove the reason behind the book. I didn't want this to undo me, to, to make me stuck for longer than I needed to. Uh, I wanted to, to go through it, experience it, learn from it, heal from it, everything I needed to do, but do it as quickly as I can. Why, why do it for longer than you have to, right? Because it's so painful. Yeah. Um, I didn't want this to go on for decades, that's for sure, because I know the grief will always be there, but not, not the, the damaging part of the mm. grief. You know, I wanted that to end. Yes, and it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because obviously writing is your tool that helps you process things and I found mine was talking and here I am doing a podcast and you've written a book and I feel like it doing the podcast almost fast-tracked that for me as well. And Sal and I often say, I honestly don't know what my grief would look like had I not had this outlet to, to do that because it mm -hmm. has helped me process so much. So that's really interesting. On the point of your book, your amazing, amazing book, can you tell us, Indira, a little bit about it and where listeners can find it? 
So the book is called The Space Between the Stars. Uh, it was published through Murdoch Books and it's basically available in most bookshops online. There'll be an audio book coming out soon too in August that you can also access. And there's an ebook as well uh, online for you to get. The book is really about uh, probably two, two main themes what it's like to go through a big grief in your life, as I did when my sister took her life, the impact that that has on you, uh, particularly when you're a sibling. Uh, I'm one of three sisters. We're very close in age. So a lot of the book is dipping back into our amazing childhood that was spent traversing the world. We lived in five countries before I was 13 and how tight that and close that made us. So we, I share those really beautiful, funny, naughty stories. And there's a lot of humour. There's a lot of laughter in this book, which is not what people expect from a book that touches on grief and suicide. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is then I dip back into the present in mm -hmm. my grief and my connection to this amazing tree that I've discovered in the Royal Botanic Gardens, why it helps me, how, it, how I get solace from it. By the time I finish the book, writing it and going through that experience I am in a place that I just wouldn't have imagined I could have been in I think mm -hmm. unless I had been connected with nature I, I start to feel a joy sometimes greater than the joy I, I felt before uh, my sister's death and really it, it all came down to, to nature opening its arms opening its um, awe and wonder to me and, and me being quiet and still enough to receive it. And it is an absolutely brilliant book and we'll link it in the show notes. Thank you for putting it out into the world. It really is a very special uh, thing to read. So thank you so much, Indira, for spending this hour with us. It's been such a treat to chat with you and we're really grateful for, um, yeah, for everything that you're doing, especially to raise awareness of grief and loss and, and what it's like. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this issue. And as, as you guys uh, are and, and know, um, there is such a need to talk about grief. We, we're going through such a big grief in, on so many levels in our country at the moment, across the, the globe, really. So your podcasts and podcasts like yours are so important. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so much. I tell you what, I am definitely going to make a conscious effort to look after my plants a little bit better now. I'm looking at that one on the windowsill that you gave me, Sal, and it's looking very sorry for itself. Oh, my God, me too. Mine's, like, <laughs> shriveled up over here. I feel oh, so shit. guilty. I really need to up my plant game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Guys, we hope you took something from this chat. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we have a little favour to ask as well. Um, if you could leave us a rating or a review, it really helps Good Morning get seen by others. And a massive thank you to everyone who's done that so far. We absolutely love reading the reviews. And a special thanks to our sponsor for today, Griefline. And guys, if you're struggling and need some extra support, you can call Griefline's national toll-free helpline on 1300 845 745 or visit griefline.org.au to access their support programs and services, which is linked in the show notes. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.